0: Before we get into this week's episode, let's talk about Cuts Clothing. Guys, work attire has completely changed. You don't have to wear stuffy and uncomfortable clothes anymore. Cuts Clothing has reimagined work clothes by elevating the classic t-shirt to something you can wear on any occasion from a formal work meeting to a casual night out everyone loves cuts clothing elite athletes entrepreneurs recording artists and many more are all wearing what gq magazine calls the only shirt worth wearing and cuts has your holiday shopping covered with a ton of new products and special site exclusive offers every day in december so go visit cutsclothing.com today for some can't miss daily deals one more time that's cuts clothing c-u-t-s clothing.com and now sit back relax grab a drink and here's another episode of between the tackles All right, what is good, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Between the Tackles, which is an NFL podcast hosted by yours truly, Matt Twee. This episode is going to be so dope. Um, I'm super pumped. There's so much to talk about. Um, Week 17 games, we have a bonus week 18, so many storylines we're going to talk about in the middle of this, talk about the playoff picture. It's going to be dope. So, lock in. Thank you for continuing to listen. If you're a returning listener, if you're new, thanks for joining in. Um, you can find us on all platform streaming podcasts, um, your, your Spotify, Google, Apple, all that good stuff. So subscribe, download, follow, rate, review, all that, um, jump in. This episode's going to be dope and the stuff down the line is going to be awesome too. So let's, let's not waste any time because, like I said, I'm so pumped for this episode. Um, let's jump right in um, and let's recap all the games from week 17 and then we will dive into storylines after that. So, starting with the Sunday games, every game except for one was on Sunday. We didn't have a Thursday game, no Saturday games. Um, There will be Saturday games this week, um, but nothing from the past week here. Um, Recording this on a Wednesday. Um, If you're new here, again, we try to record on Tuesday or Wednesday, drop on Wednesday or Thursday. So this episode will most likely be either up later Wednesday night, or you may be listening to this um, on a Thursday morning, just depending on when we get it edited and dropped. But anyway... so we are going to recap the games from last week, starting with the, the Sunday games and then into the Monday night game. So Sunday we had um, Vegas taking on Indianapolis. Indianapolis favored as an eight and a half point team there um, at home. They actually lose outright. Um, Carson Wentz decided to go full Carson Wentz on us and just completely fell apart. Um, imploded and did not play well and Las Vegas kicked a game-winning field goal to take the dub, um, which puts them firmly in a a real good shot to make the playoffs. Um, But Indianapolis does not cover the 8.5 and and Las Vegas wins outright 23-20. to Next, Chicago taking on the Giants. Chicago at home, favored by six and a half. I told you this. This just seemed like a bad line. Um, I thought Chicago was infinitely the better team. The Giants have shut down Daniel Jones. They're only starting either, um, I believe, Jake Fromm or Mike Glennon, uh, or maybe Easton Stick. I think it's I think it's Jake Fromm for the Giants. But he, uh, at any rate, bad line. Chicago should have been favored by more. They were definitely the better team. I told you to hammer it, and we did. Um, And they won 29-3. to They won by 26, definitely covering that. Um, It wasn't a pretty game by any means, but it was a a game that we just thought that Chicago was infinitely better in. Tampa Bay taking on the Jets. This game was super interesting. A lot of people had teasers, us included. We had teasers. We had parlays. Everything including the the Buccaneers because we just saw no chance that there was any way that Tampa Bay was going to lose to the Jets. And for about 40, or sorry, for about 50 of the 60 minutes of that game, we thought that the Jets were going to win. The Jets looked great. The Buccaneers looked awful. It looked like all their injuries were taking a toll. All that good stuff. And then somehow, Tom Brady finds a way to do it again like he always does. They win the game straight up. They don't cover any spread or teasers. They were favored by 14.5. So unless you teased them 13 points and got them down to 1.5, um, You didn't really win anything except for if you had them in parlays, you stayed alive there. They won 28-24. Buffalo taking on Atlanta. Buffalo favored by 14. They push. They win by 14, 29-15. If you teased them, you won. If you had them in parlays, you won. Um, So shout out anybody that had some major bets for Buffalo. You didn't lose anything. And if you got them at a lower number than 14, you did win. Um, But you couldn't lose this one. Um, They win 29-15 and push on the minus 14. Philadelphia taking on Washington. They closed as a six point favorite. This one seemed weird. Um, I had actually teased it down just so they could win outright, and they did. Um, but, you know, again, they did not cover the six. They lose or they win by four. Um, they only win 20 to 16. Uh, but we're going to have some conversation about Jalen Hurts in a little bit. I just want to talk about how great Jalen Hurts has been um, through his first 15 games of the year, what it compares to other quarterbacks that are similar to him, um, and just kind of talk about how he's underappreciated. But they win twenty to sixteen. Kansas City taking on Cincinnati. This was by far the game of the of the week, maybe the game of the year. It was incredible, such a great game. Kansas City closes as a three and a half point favorite. I thought they would win the game. I took them in parlays. We'll talk about that in the gambling corner. Um, I added them into a parlay because I just thought that they were a, a shoe in to win the game. Um, but Cincinnati, who at one point looked like it was going to be a blowout you know, that they were going to get doused. Um, They score 17 points in the second half to Kansas City's only three, and they end up winning the game 34-31. The ending sequence of this game, you know, there's a lot of going back and forth about what should have happened, what Zach Taylor should have done. And, you know, obviously they win the game, so you can say none of it really matters because they won. There were some questionable calls in the end zone. Um, I have a buddy who's coming on next week, Robert Bell, big Bengals fan, was super pumped about it. But I think if he was honest, there was a couple things that when you watch those replays back, you're kind of like, they're ticky-tack, they're kind of, they're kind of soft, but they might have been penalties and they were called. However, all that to say, you know, I think what Zach Taylor was doing was he didn't want to give Mahomes any sort of time at all Um, And so he just wanted to score so that he didn't give him a chance with enough time to go down the field and score a touchdown with him only getting three points. Um, I mean, if, if there's no flags called, they don't get that twice. And then Kansas City has, you know, the ball obviously on the goal line, but a chance to just get a field goal and win the game outright with probably like, what, a minute and a half or two minutes left. But... All that to say, they get two penalties. Uh, Kansas City had already used their timeout, so they basically just knelt it twice and then kicked a field goal to win the game, and they drill it, and all is for naught. It looks great. Zach Taylor looks like a genius, and they win the game. I just thought the ending was crazy because of how it turned out and that it was like deciding whether to go for a touchdown or kick a field goal. You have so many people on both sides of the aisle saying, no, you go for it. You go for the kill shot or no, you kick a field goal because what if you don't get it, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. They win the game, 34-31. Joe Burrow was awesome, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit as well. New England taking on Jacksonville. New England was favored by 17. They win 50-10. to They won by 40. Jacksonville is an absolute trash fire. They're a piece of shit. They suck. Um, I don't know why anybody thought this would be anything different. Jacksonville is absolutely an, an abomination of an NFL team to put out on a field, um, and they deserve to get beat by 40 because they're trash. Tennessee facing Miami. This was a game that, again, you know— People kind of thought uh, that this could be a spot for Miami to win because of their win streak and all this stuff. And I just wanted to caution people because we talked about this before. I talked about this with friends. I talked about it on the podcast last week. Miami's string of quarterbacks that they beat is almost unheard of how bad they were. One of them was Lamar Jackson. I get it. But I believe it was Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, um, Terod Taylor. Um, Jacksonville at one point, you know, it was it was awful. Really, really bad quarterbacks that they beat. And so everybody was jumping on this bandwagon of Miami like they were this hot, hot team. And sure, they, it's, it's, imp- it's really hard to win games in a row in the NFL, let alone I think they won seven or eight. But it's a little bit easier to win them when you're playing against inferior quarterbacks and straight-up garbage quarterbacks at some. Again, they had the one win against Baltimore, great. But other than that, I think they had seven or six horrible quarterbacks they were facing. And I'm not saying that Tannehill is some elite quarterback, but he's not any of those guys either. And so this was just a weird line that I thought people were hammering Miami because they thought they were going to win. And I just didn't think that was the case. Um, Tennessee was favored by three, and they win 34 to, to three. They win by 31, and it was a domination from the start. Rams taking on Baltimore. This is another one where we're going to talk about kind of playoff updates and stuff to that nature, but Rams favored by seven against Tyler Huntley. This should have been an easy cover. I'm sorry. This this is an overpowered team that is not that should have dominated Baltimore inside and out without a quarterback of, of you know, like average standard. And they only win by one, and it takes a last final drive touchdown to do it. And we have to talk about Stafford. I believe that was his fourth pick six of the year. He had two picks in this game, both of which were awful. And he just he just continues to shrink in big moments and big games. And I know they won. So, like, kudos, I guess, to leading that final drive. But there's going to come a point where you can't have that type of crap go on in the playoffs. And he's going to make a bad throw at some point. And it's going to change the game. And it's going to ruin it. And so, I don't know. I just... I I just want to caution people with hitching your wagon to to Matt Stafford and thinking that, oh, he needed more talent. I've always said this. His record in big game, uh, or sorry, his record against teams with a winning record is atrocious. It's not a talent thing. It's a him thing. Part of it was talent, but it's not a full-on talent problem. It's a him thing. So if you guys continue to just fall in love with this idea of Matt Stafford having, you know, uh, these amazing weapons, which he does, but, you know, I don't know. I just, I think we've hitched our wagon in thinking that Sean McVay was going to turn Stafford into this amazing quarterback, and what we're finding is that's not the case. So... Anyway, moving on. They did not cover. They were favored by seven. They win by one. Chargers taking on Denver. Chargers were favored by seven and a half. This just looked like a mismatch all over the place. Um, Chargers were bouncing back off a horrible loss to the Texans. You had to think they were going to come in fired up. They did. They win 34 to 13. They cover that seven and a half. Justin Herbert looked great there. San Francisco taking on Houston. Um, I played houston at a tease number i so i'll go over kind of what my bets were on sunday um and then what the the gambling corner looked like which spoiler we lost both of them because of the chiefs um but so i'll kind of talk through what i did with teasers i'm falling in love with these 13 point teasers and here's why obviously because you get to manipulate a spread by 13 points but it allows you the chance to, to look at big favorites that shouldn't be favored by as much and take the other side. And it's a lot of fun to be on the side of Houston plus 26 and just be hoping that they can hang on and not lose by more than 26. So... That was another thing, too, which, again, we'll talk about what I bet on the weekend um, coming up. But it, I had them at a teaser and a 13-point th- a teaser at plus 26, and they lost by 16, so I won. But it was like, oh, my God, every corner, you're just hoping that S- Houston can get one touchdown. Because it against San Francisco, who couldn't score a lot with, with Trey Lance, they did end up scoring 23, but it didn't look pretty. You just knew, like, okay— if they can get one touchdown, I feel confident that that um, S- San Francisco is not going to score 30-plus. And they didn't, so I was good there. Arizona taking on Dallas. Dallas favored by 6.5 at home, and Arizona played a phenomenal game. Dallas does not look right. We're going to talk about some of the concerns around them um, between him, between Dak and, and Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys in, in a little bit. But um, Dallas just doesn't look right. Ever since he got hurt with that calf injury, take away the Washington football team game aside, um, there's a lot going on that um, doesn't look right for the Cowboys. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Arizona wins outright 25-22. They dominate this game from start to finish. Um, and, you know, Cliff Kingsbury had a, a, a couple great plays late in that game um, to get Kyler because the running game was not looking great. The running game was non-existent, And they, they worked a couple different option plays that were run plays for Kyler that ended up icing the game, which was kudos to them. Carolina taking on New Orleans. New Orleans favored by seven at home. Um, they win 18 to 10. This game was ugly, boring. New Orleans is just finding ways to win ugly because they don't have a quarterback. Um, and so they win 18 to 10, and they actually cover the spread. Detroit taking on Seattle. Seattle favored by nine. Seattle just absolutely pummeled Detroit. They win 51 29, winning by 22. Absolute domination from the start. This was, I mean, I know it was against Detroit, so like anybody can pummel Detroit, but um, this looked like the Seattle offense that they wanted to have all year and then didn't get a great chance to get started with with Russell Wilson getting hurt. Um, but maybe this can build some momentum into next year um, if Russell's there, I guess, is what we should have said. But nonetheless, um, they win 51-29 and cover the nine. Green Bay taking on Minnesota in the Sunday night game. Green Bay was favored by twelve and a half. Kirk Cousins out with COVID, so they started Sean Mannion. Um, I hammered Green Bay minus thirteen. I did not get them at twelve and a half right at kickoff. I got them at thirteen, but I hammered them because I just knew that this was going to be a game that Green Bay wanted to solidify the one seed. They were playing a quarterback that probably couldn't get any points on the board, and you knew Green Bay was going to get at least what twenty one. Um, so I figured they would at least cover, you know, fourteen, um, and they end up covering. Easily, they win 37 to 10, win by 27. And finally, Cleveland taking on Pittsburgh after Cleveland was officially eliminated because the Bengals won um, their game against Kansas City. That meant the Browns were out of playoff contention. There was, mathematically, there was no way they could make it. So I was shocked they actually still started some players, but I knew because of that there was no motivation. They were definitely going to, regardless of rivalry game or not, Week 17 game where you don't have a shot to make the playoffs, you're not going to try as much. Um, Pittsburgh was actually a pick It actually ended up being... Uh, you know, close to close to a pickem at the end um, when it closed, and they actually end up winning by 12, 26-14, So they cover the pickem. I actually took Cleveland plus ten. I thought it was going to be a defensive battle. Um, they were within ten for a while, and then Pittsburgh scored twice in the fourth quarter, and that was it. Uh, Pittsburgh wins twenty six to fourteen. That is a recap of all the games from week seventeen with some gambling information there. Um, hopefully, you guys cashed out with some of my advice from last week. Um, Let's get into the big, what I'm super pumped about, all the storylines. Because one thing I, I didn't even talk about on purpose because I wanted to bring it up um, you know, in the middle of this with the storylines was what was happening in the Tampa Bay game against the Jets. So if you guys don't know, I don't know how you don't know, but go on, look up any social media and just type in Antonio Brown and it'll be one of the first videos that pops up. So if you don't know, What happened was there was... And nobody really knew the story. All they had was the video. And we got the story afterwards. We can talk about it. But essentially, there's a video that goes around during the game. I find it as the game is still going on because that's Twitter now. And it's a video of Antonio Brown taking his... Pads off with his jersey, so he rips his pads off in his jersey. He then rips his um, like compression tank tops, uh, you know, under it. He throws his into the stands. He throws his glove into the stands. He's shirtless with no pads, no helmet, and he's running out of the game across the field and runs into the the Jets end zone. And he's cheering and like showing love to the fans and like wanting them to cheer for him. And then he runs into the tunnel. He essentially. Checks out mid game, mid play, dips out, quits on his team, gets an Uber, which by the way, we then find out that, um, there's a, the guy that gives him the Uber or it's a black car service or an Uber or whatever. He takes a video with him and asks some questions like why he dipped, what's, what's going on, where he wants to go, blah, blah, blah. And there's photos of him just waiting outside of this, of MetLife, waiting for his, his Uber. And then the guy takes a video of the Uber and it's all nuts. Like I, I remember Vontae Davis retiring at halftime. So it's not like we haven't seen a player just you know I don't want to say that Vontae Davis quit on his team, but like there was an argument to be made that maybe he did because he did it at halftime and didn't tell anybody. So this has been this has been happening, um, or not been happening, but this has happened where somebody has just quit mid game, and you can call retiring. You know, not, you can say that that's not quitting, but he did quit on his team in the middle of a game. He didn't like just quit the team like AB did, but he retired mid game at halftime. And the story, if you get a chance, I believe, um, LaShawn McCoy was, was on an Instagram live with somebody and they were going through the story of how it happened. And I was dying how funny it was. This didn't seem as funny. Um, maybe it's because of the person, maybe it's because of how it was done. Maybe it's because it was a look at me moment. But then we start to find out a bit more information and it sounds like AB was in his fields and Bruce Arians asked him to go back in the game and he said no. So Bruce Arians obviously in the middle of a game doesn't want to spend too much time on it. Um, But then I think it sounds like Bruce Arians goes back to him a second time and tells him to get in the game like they need him and he says no. So at that point. They're grown men. When a grown man, your coach, asks you to go back in the game and you tell him no twice, he says, All right, you're done. Sit the fuck down. You're not playing today. And A B then gets pissy and he says, Well, I don't need this. Screw this. And he takes his he takes his pads off, everything off, and he throws it into the stands. He throws his pads onto the bench and he dips out and he's no longer on the team. Bruce Arian says after first thing they ask him, what's the status of A B? He says he's no longer a buck. And then we come to find out that, yeah, there was a little bit of a rift between those two. Mike Evans tried to keep him, you know, tried to calm him down. Tom Brady tried to calm him down and it didn't work. So he dips out and he's no longer a buck. That's the, the foundation. Let's now talk about the fallout. The fallout is I don't believe Antonio Brown plays another game in the NFL again. And I think that's justified. I think that he could have been exiled already with the domestic violence stuff, with the crazy way he left Oakland, with the fake vaccine shit. He's got a lot going on. And, um, I tweeted this and I said that like, he needs more help than we could ever imagine that we could ever know. And that's correct. Um, and I always want to be a podcast and I want to present myself in a way that shows empathy and like has empathy for people and sympathy and, and empathizes with people that are clearly going through a lot. And this last couple of years with everybody in this world, people are dealing with a lot of shit and they're hurting and mental health is at an all time low in terms of how we feel as human beings, but there's a heightened awareness about it. And I want to be an advocate for that. So I'm not saying like that there's not anything wrong with Antonio Brown because clearly there is, but I'm not a medical expert. So I'm not here to tell somebody that they have a, that they have to get help or how to get help or when to get help or the, uh, the capacity and the severity of help that they need. So I'm not going to do that. But I always want to be a guy that's empathetic. But in this case, I find myself having very little empathy. Like, I believe Antonio Brown is, is a very bad person. And I believe that he has done some horrible things criminally, Uh, illegally with the vaccine stuff. Personally, I believe he's not a great human being. And so it's really hard for me to have empathy for somebody that then, after all this, still gets a chance to make millions of dollars to play football and then decides to dip on his team halfway through because he didn't want to play in the game. Well, if you didn't want to play in the game and you, I don't know if you knew this, A.B., but you were literally 50 yards and like three catches away from making $1.2 million in incentives. So you threw that away. Whether you need that or not is regardless, but... If nothing else, if no motivation to actually play football was it, then maybe the money was motivation to stay and not be a bitch. But instead you were, and now you're never going to play in the NFL again. No one's going to give a chance to you because you completely quit on your team. You had a hissy fit and an outburst, and you ran across the field. And now you're just out of the NFL. I don't believe that you should have a chance. I don't believe you're going to have a chance. But it's really hard for me to be one of these people. Like I see people on media, and, and shout out, you know, tom brady for being the guy that he is you know and letting him in his home and doing all that stuff while he was still being a terrible human being like shout out those people but i'm just to the point now where it's like you you've shown your true colors pretty frequently and maybe cte is causing you to be a different person than than yourself but you you kind of just blame everything on everybody else and you don't take any accountability And I have a really hard time with that, with somebody not taking accountability for the shit that they've put themselves through. So I'm not trying to get political. I'm not trying to get like, that's not what this this point of this podcast is for. I just wanted to kind of give you my opinion. But I believe he kind of sucks as a human being and I believe he needs help and I believe that he won't have another chance to do this in the NFL. And I hope he gets help. But like, I'm kind of over the fact of like, oh man, I'm really sorry for him. I feel sad for him. I really don't. And maybe that makes me a bad person myself. But like, I have empathy for people who want to take accountability and then fix what's what's going on. And I don't think he wants to do that. He hasn't acknowledged it. And he blames the media for everything. And I don't like that. So sorry, bud. Your career is over. You had a chance to really to win another ring and to kind of continue to maybe repair what your legacy was if it was already if that was possible. And now you don't. So good on you, I guess. All right, let's move into more uplifting stuff here. Joe Burrow. Holy hell, man. Let's talk about Joe Burrow for a second. So I'm going to pull up his his stat line from, from Sunday. But if nothing else, let's just chat about Joe Burrow and what he's like. I've heard a lot of people kind of put, compare him to certain things and certain people. And I'm not going to do any comparisons here because I think it's I think it's wildly unfair to compare him to um I think it's wildly unfair to compare him to Tom Brady, which people have done. Sure, maybe he has certain qualities that are of Tom Brady, but I think it's again wildly unfair to do that. Um let's let's talk about the comparison that I heard from Trent Dilfer, which was, um, he calls him um, Joe Kelly, and he says that if you, if you just like, you know, follow him, and um, and just kind of look at how he handles himself, how he takes these hits, how he just kind of locks in, um, man, he. He just looks a lot like Joe, uh, Jim Kelly, the way he handles himself. And the more I was looking at some some film, but dude, the way that he scans the whole field and he holds onto the ball, he takes some hits, and that's what I want to focus a little bit on here. I obviously know, like, I don't need to sit here and um and just kind of say all those things about you know Tom Brady. We we already know, or Tom Brady and Joe Burrow, we already know, um you know what where he stands and and what his ceiling is it's massive he has a great a great chemistry with him and Jamar Chase and so like again this is not something that is shocking um so i think where where we need to go is we need to just kind of start to talk about um we need to talk about his injury you know, concern here. So I I get a little worried when I watch him because he does hold onto the ball a long time. He has a little bit of like, and I'm not saying the, the talent-wise or whatever, but he has a little bit of wince in him where I feel like he sometimes runs into sacks or he holds the ball too long. And it scares the hell out of me. It really does. Um, and so... I worry that (laughs) – I don't know. I just worry that there's going to come a moment where, like, he – I don't know, that he takes a big hit and that it could be not career-ending but season-ending. I mean, even in the end of the game against Kansas City, I mean, he – he got drilled and he had to sit out the last play, you know? And I don't think that Zach Taylor wants to have that be a thing. And so I just worry about him a little bit. Um, but my God, what he, what he was able to do, um, last weekend against the chiefs was, was just remarkable. I mean, the dude had 446 touchdowns or sorry yards with four touchdowns on 30 of 39 that's insane. So fucking cool. Um, And then the dude is in the, in the locker and smoking a cigar, doing the gat. The dude is just so dope. I love him to death. I just hope, hope, hope that he stays healthy and that I know he hangs in there a lot like a Favre and a Jim Kelly and a Brady and takes a lot of these hits at the end. Um, I hope that maybe by doing that more and more that he garnishes the same type of respect from referees and from players that he's putting his body out there and just getting drilled. The offensive line still needs work. I think that Cincinnati, while they showed that they can hang with the big guns, I still think they're a year early, which is scary because if they're a year early and still doing this, then man, watch out. But Joe Burrow is awesome, was so cool. And Jamar Chase is impossible. I mean, like, Hey, Steve Spagnuolo, I know you don't like to double guys, but at one point on a third and 27, can you not let Jamar Chase go one-on-one, which by the way, is Joe Burrow's best throw is isolation throws. I think there's a, I forgot the stat. I'm drawing a blank on it. I had it, but I can't find it. I think he throws those at like a 70% clip. The ISO throws one-on-one coverage. He throws those so well and on a third and 27. You're just going to leave one of the best young receivers who already has a great rapport with Joe Burrow one-on-one and let that happen? That just seemed like a a mistake to me. But what a game by Joe Burrow and the and the Bengals. All right, so I want to talk about um Lamar and Jalen Hurts for a second. Because um I I think that we I think we forget like we 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 saw some rough moments with Jalen Hurts to start, but now that we have a full like slate of uh, and you know in his first fifteen games that we have with him, I think we know now, you know what what we're dealing with, and with with Lamar and Jalen, they're very similar in their first fifteen games. One of which one of the guys has won an MVP. The other one is Jalen Hurts in all-purpose yards. I think Jalen Hurts is only through 15 games both of them. Is only behind him by 5 all-purpose yards. He has more touchdowns. And I believe he's only trailing by like 50 rushing yards. I think he has 29 total TDs and Lamar only had like 25 or maybe it's 19 or I don't remember exactly what the numbers were through 15 games, but um Yeah, so I think we forget that Jalen Hurts is doing some really, really cool stuff. Um, so let's not forget about Jalen Hurts and what they just did. They just clinched a playoff spot in a year where they may have been voted like second or third in the AFC, NFC East. And he just clinched a playoff spot putting up some similar numbers to what Lamar had in an MVP season. Or sorry, not in an MVP season, but of an eventual MVP So just keep an eye on Jalen Hurts and the track that he's on um, because it could be pretty cool going forward. All right, um, let's talk Dak and the Cowboys here. Um, As we know, they lost 25-22 over the weekend when they were favored by 6.5 at home. And the reason I want to bring him up, um, he has not looked good outside of the Washington football team game, which by the way, the Washington football team is now six and 10. Um, they're not like the world beaters that everybody apparently wanted to make them out to be when they beat them by a lot. Um, but I'm going to go through Dak's like last, I don't know, let's go five games or so. Um, so let's see. Since Since the calf injury, let's pull up his stats here. Um, against New Orleans, he wasn't great. 26 of 40, one touchdown, one pick, 236 yards. So, not a great game. Now, Saints defense is good. So, I'm going to give him credit there. Against the Washington the first time, 27 to 20, they won, but he was 22 of 39, 211, one touchdown, two picks. He threw that horrible pick at the end of the game, which you couldn't have to, to actually keep Washington in the game. Week 15, they play the Giants. They only win by 15 And Dak, Fine, but not like, you know, what you should be doing against the Giants defense. But he was 28 of 37, 217 in a touchdown. So nothing to shout home about. And then the week 16 game, which everybody wants to just, you know, give him flowers over. He was 330 yards, four touchdowns, 28 of 39. But like, since the calf injury, outside of the Washington football team game, he hasn't been great. I mean, even against, I mean, he was good against Atlanta, but again, he, he was 24-31, or 296, and two touchdowns. But a lot of those are coming on dink and dunk. He's not really hitting guys down the field very well. And I just worry that, like, there's going to come a point where he has to make, like, a big, big, big-time throw on third down, like a third and 12. And if you've been watching the NFL enough, you know that playoff football is all about third down. You're going to be in third and fives, third and sevens, third and tens, third and twelves. And you're going to have to make throws to keep the chains moving that are uncomfortable. And sometimes Dak just doesn't do that. And sometimes he makes bad throws, and he, he bounces throws, and he throws behind guys. And I was ready to put him up in this elite upper echelon of quarterbacks, and I just can't do that yet. And that's just the Dak part. Let's talk about the Mike McCarthy bullshit. Mike McCarthy got tricked. This is not a joke. If, if you go back and watch the game... There's a moment, I believe it's like 4th and 8 or 4th and 5 somewhere on their own, like in Arizona's own territory and Arizona trots out Matt Prater at the wide receiver position and Mike McCarthy thinks that they're going to run a play where Matt Prater is actually a wide receiver. So he calls a timeout in the second half because of that, and he wastes a timeout. And then later on in the game, there's no timeouts that he has in his pocket when there's a play that is clearly a fumble but is not being able to be challenged because he doesn't have any timeouts, and it's not booth-reviewed, and it's close. And so he doesn't have a timeout that he can use to spare for the challenge, so he can't challenge, and that would have given them the ball back. So he gets duped by Cliff Kingsbury, who, by the way, is not the most uh, you know time-inept person on his, on his own right, um, on the other side, into using a timeout that was never for a play that was going to be run. So he used the timeout, and then he can't challenge a play that is clearly a fumble later on, which the ref should have got that right, sure. But you at least would hope that you have one or two timeouts to be able to challenge towards the end of the game if that happens. He doesn't have any, and he can't challenge the play. That combination of Dak not being as... As precise and as good as we want him to be, versus this doofus that is Mike McCarthy, I think is a is a, a cause for concern, is a recipe for disaster at some point. So I'm just going to keep an eye on that as the as the playoffs get closer and as the playoffs go on, and just wait to see this implode. Two more things here. Let's talk about Baker, because you know. They got eliminated before their game on, on Monday night. So we knew that the Monday night game was going to be much less competitive. It was going to be much less uh, emotion filled from the Brown side because they didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. But you knew it was a rivalry game, so Baker was going to try and play. So he comes out, and everybody is, you know, I'm um, probably in Cleveland, probably singing his praises because he gutted out another game. Well, let's look at Baker Mayfield's stat line here. 16 of 38, so, by the way, much below 50% completion percentage. Only 185 yards. He got two touchdowns, and he threw two picks. Now, you may be saying, well, Matt, but the, guy, the quarterback on the other side didn't have a great game. Sure. He was 24 to 46. He was better than 50%. He threw 123 yards because everything was dink and dunk. He had one touchdown and one, only one pick. But here's the difference. Ben Roethlisberger, is towards the end of his career, and isn't fighting for a contract extension. This was actually his last game at Heinz Field, and he's going to be done after the year, it seems like. So sure, we know he's shot. We know he doesn't have it anymore, but he did. He was really, really good at one point. Baker Mayfield has never been great. He's always been good or above average, or maybe somewhat very good, but he's always been just good or below average at points or average. So don't compare an 18-year an veteran who is on his last leg and retiring versus Baker Mayfield who is playing hurt, trying to get a contract extension, and might have just blown up in his face. So now we have to talk about it. Do they trade him? Do they cut bait? Do they bring in a quarterback that's about his, his competition level and see if it can bring anything out of him? Because... I love Nick Wright bringing this up on First Things First, and it's something that I've thought about a lot, and I've never really brought it up or known how to articulate it, and he did a really good job. Everybody only talks about this fallacy of betting on yourself. Oh, he bet on himself, and he he won. Well, what if I flip that and say the fallacy is we never hear the shitty stories of betting on yourself because nobody wants to hear those because that doesn't fit the narrative. Well, Baker Mayfield bet on himself this year. He could have taken a contract extension that was less than what he wanted, less than maybe $40 million, and taken for $30 million or $28 million or $25 million for four years or for five years. And he decided to try and stick it out and play a really good year and go to the playoffs and maybe go to the Super Bowl and make $45 million. Well, instead he got hurt. He played through it because, again— he didn't have the financial security to sit out those games. He he knew that if he didn't play through it, even if he was hurt, you know, maybe he would be losing money. So he thought, oh, well, if I play hurt and I play really well and fight through this pain and then we make the playoffs when I'm hurt, they have to give me the money. But there's an alternative universe where if he takes a, a lesser extension with lesser annual money— he probably doesn't play hurt. He probably sits out those games because he has the financial security, because he knows he can push it down the line for his, um, for his career and get his surgery and be healthy. And maybe that means that he's not playing through hurt and his throws aren't being affected and Case Keenum does a decent job of keeping them afloat. And maybe they make the playoffs and everything is perfect in Cleveland. But instead... It's not. And now you've cost yourself probably a chance for a massive contract extension. Now they're probably going to franchise tag you, which sure gets you like $38 million this year, but doesn't guarantee you have any long-term financial stability. And there's a chance that if they franchise tag you and you play like shit again, you make nothing. And you end up being a backup for $10 million a year or $8 million a year versus thirty-five as a starter. So there's a conundrum in Cleveland. And by the way, I want to remind everybody, They didn't draft this guy. They have zero connection to him loyally from the draft. They don't have anything to owe him because they didn't draft him. They don't feel like they have to owe him anything. There is a very good chance that he is not the starting quarterback in eight months. I got a buddy on Twitter who works for PFF, and um, he's all about Malik Willis and maybe trying a, a rebuild Um, Scenario with with Malik Willis and I love Malik Willis I've watched some tape Um, I've watched him live too but you know seems like this may be it and if boy if you thought that Baker was going to be you know be able to succeed over Joe Burrow and be able to succeed over an aging Ben Roethlisberger and Lamar was going to be figured out boy are you wrong because they're going to end up last in the AFC North and that's just pitiful Too much talent. I know they had a lot go wrong. So I'm not blaming Baker for everything. But he has a big part of the blame. Big part. And let's end it with this. MVP conversation. There was a story that came out yesterday. Um, Danny Parkins has a show um, in Chicago. And he had um, somebody on who has a vote for the MVP, Hub Arkish. And he was on. And the whole, and I didn't listen to the whole interview to be quite candid, but I listened to enough. And he basically said that he's not going to be voting for Aaron Rodgers for MVP because he thinks he's the biggest jerk in the league and because of how he handled stuff this off season. And so that brings me to the question of MVP. Do we just look at the stats on the field? Like, Is that all we look at? Because I would argue that in no sport do we ever name anybody an MVP or a a league leader or of anything just based on stats. And do you want to know why we don't do that? Because we have computers that can do that. If it was just based on stats, why do we have voters? Put a computer together... Spit out a number with the best stats and some sort of, you know, score, and then whoever has the best score, that's the MVP. But we don't. We have humans voting on it, which means there's always going to be a human element to this vote, which means MVP was never just about the stats on the field. Now listen, does that mean I want to take into account every single personal aspect of a human being? You know, who they married? What their kids act like. Are their kids stuck up? Does that mean that, oh, are we getting too personal? I'm not saying that we have to take in every single personal account of their life. But if we want to talk about the whole picture of how they're doing their job as a football player, how you handle the offseason matters. Hell, last year when it was between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady last year, which everybody thought it was, at some point. Or going into this year, the narrative of MVP between the first few games was, well, Tom Brady just did the offseason so much better than Aaron Rodgers did. Aaron Rodgers looked like an asshole in the offseason. So we already were starting the narrative. MVPs are made by narratives and play on the field, not just play on the field. We do it in the NBA. LeBron had a chance to win an MVP a couple years ago. um, And last year before he got hurt, you want to know why? Because the narrative would have been... 19, 19th season or at that time 18th season and he's doing all these things that's incredible he wouldn't have had the best stats but the narrative would have helped him same thing in NFL same thing in NHL same thing in soccer hell they gave Lionel Messi the, the golden boot this year in soccer when Lewandowski Robert Lewandowski had like 20 more goals than him and is clearly the best player in the world um, in terms of scoring goals and yet they gave it to Messi. Why? Because it's Messi. There's a mystique. There's an aura around him. Hell, Mo Salah's the best player in soccer in the world. And he didn't even get in that list. So, narratives have always dominated MVPs and best players and awards in in the NFL. So I'm not, I'm not going to defend. I think Aaron Rodgers and the MVP, I disagree with not voting for him, but I'm not going to kill somebody. I'm not going to cancel somebody and try and take away their vote because they're doing something that everybody has always done since the beginning of time with MVP narr- er, conversations. It's a narrative. If you don't, hell, that's what the Hall of Fame is. People aren't voting in Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds because of narratives that affected their job. So, you know, Hub. I'm not I don't agree with you. I think Aaron Rodgers is in the MVP, but I'm not saying that I disagree with your reasoning for doing it. I think you have every right to not like what he did in the offseason because that is part of being a teammate and your job. And I don't think he's the biggest jerk in the NFL. I just think that people don't like him because he's, you know, brash and he's sometimes sometimes a dick, but he's not the biggest jerk in the league. A B just did what he did, and he's not the biggest jerk in the league, please. But I think Aaron Rodgers is the MVP, but I understand that people want to use other things against him and and use that as a narrative. It makes sense. It's not outlandish to think that narratives play a role in the MVP because, again, if it was just stats, we could have a robot do that. But we don't. We have humans doing it, and that means humans have the ability to add emotion and narratives into it. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about the playoff update and then previewing this weekend's games and doing the gambling corner all right let's take a break and talk about bare bottom clothing it's getting cold outside winter's coming around and so you're gonna need some comfortable warm and stretchy clothes bare bottom is on a mission to make the most comfortable menswear around while giving back to the communities where their clothing is made comfy season's here everybody so stock your closet with comfort without paying those insane markups you see with other online and those big box brands You can also feel good while wearing your bare bottoms because for each item you purchase, a nutritious school meal is donated to a child in need. Everything is built for value. You're getting the softest and stretchiest clothes in the game for a great deal, but you're also giving back in the process. So right now, for a limited time, Bare Bottom is giving you an incredibly soft tech tee or their dye tee for free when you spend at least $150. So head to Bare Bottom Clothing today. That is bare like the animal, bottomclothing.com. And get that purchase. we love bare bottom clothing over here. We are massive fans. All right, let's get back to the podcast. All right, let's take a look here at the NFL standings as they are after week seventeen heading into week eighteen. a lot of um a lot of crazy stuff that had happened in Week 17 and in Week 16, the week before, too, that kind of led to some interesting playoff scenarios here. But so um, let's quickly go through the playoff standings in the AFC and the NFC. We'll talk about what kind of happened to lead up to certain things, and then we'll talk about some scenarios, some clinching scenarios as well. Um, And then uh, we'll do the preview of the games of Week 18, and then we'll do Gambling Corner to end it here. Um, so let's start off with the playoff picture as it stands after week 17. So, um, in the AFC, as we always start, the number one seed is now the Tennessee Titans because the Bengals beat the chiefs, the chiefs lost to Kansas city head to head, which means Tennessee now is the number one seed and will have the only buy. Remember, this year in the NFL, there is only they're at They added in a playoff team, but they took away the first round bye for a second team, so only the number 1 seed gets the first round bye. So, as it stands right now, Tennessee is the number 1 seed. They are the only team with the bye in the AFC because they are the number 1 seed. And so, that is where we stand with that. Now, coming in behind them, Kansas City, the 2 seed because they lost to Kansas City straight up. They are still in the race, obviously, but they're the number two seed both at 11 and 5. Three seed is Cincinnati after taking down Tennessee and... And having the same record as Buffalo, who is the four seed, but they are three. They win the tiebreaker over Buffalo because of their win percentage in conference games at the league leading with—tied for the league lead with New England at eight and three in the conference, which is which is a really nice thing to hang your hat on if you're Cincinnati. Buffalo, another division leader, comes in at number four. They have not clinched the division yet. They've just clinched a playoff spot. They have to win on Sunday. Um, I believe they play the Jaguars or maybe Miami. I can't remember exactly who. Um, Uh, But we'll talk about that in a little bit. And they win the tiebreaker over New England, who has the same record at ten and six because of their win percentage in division games. They're four and one in the division. New England is four and uh, New England three and two. But all that could change um, if New England wins and Buffalo loses. um, New England would then have the tiebreak. based on the conference record to be the four seed. Anyway, moving on. New England five, Indianapolis is at the sixth seed at nine and seven. They are tied with the Chargers, but they have the tiebreak over the Chargers because of their win percentage in conference games at seven and four. Um, And the Chargers are ahead of Las Vegas in the standings just because of their division division record. Or sorry, um, because of head-to-head, they beat Las Vegas head-to-head. So Chargers are seven. Again, they're ahead of the Raiders, who are also nine and seven because of head-to-head win. Chargers, or sorry, the Raiders are at the eight spot at nine and seven, just outside looking in. And then everybody else, um, minus Pittsburgh and Baltimore, has been mathematically eliminated. Baltimore, we'll talk about clinching scenarios again. I believe Baltimore needs a lot to happen, and Pittsburgh needs the Jaguars to beat um I believe the Colts is who they're playing, but again, we're going to talk about clinching scenarios in a second. So that is the AFC playoff picture as it stands. Again, Tennessee 1, Kansas City 2, Cincinnati 3, Buffalo 4, New England 5, Indianapolis 6, and the Chargers 7. Raiders, Steelers, Ravens all on the outside looking in um, at 8, 9, and 11. Weird that Miami is... Um, eliminated, But that's because of their division and then they just don't have a chance. The way that their opponents and who they're chasing are playing, um, they wouldn't have a chance. They would just have to win the division and they can't. Baltimore has a shot based on who else is playing. All right, moving now into the NFC. Let's talk that. Packers have locked up and clinched the um, the number one seed at thirteen and three. So they may rest. I'm not sure what they'll do, but they are the number one seed and have clinched at thirteen and three. Los Angeles Rams have vaulted all the way up to the two seed based on their record. Um, they also have that head to head win over Tampa Bay, so they are ahead of Tampa Bay in that scenario as well. Tampa Bay. Um, is the three seed they have clinched their division and a playoff spot at 12 and 4 Dallas has clinched their division and a playoff spot in the four seed at 11 and 5 Arizona has clinched a um, and they're going to be locked into the five seed they have clinched a playoff spot as well so your top five Green Bay Los Angeles Rams Bucks Cowboys Cardinals The Philadelphia Eagles are not at number six. They are at number seven, um, but they have already clinched a playoff spot at nine and seven. Um, And then the 49ers are also at nine and seven. Um, I don't remember exactly who they play. Again, we'll talk about clinching scenarios for both conferences in a second, but San Francisco wins the tiebreaker over Philly because of their head to head win. Other teams that are still involved. There is one that is outside looking in. That is New Orleans. I believe that is who plays each other. And so whoever wins would get in and the other would be out. I believe that's why. But again, we'll double check in a second. So again, um, your recap for the playoff teams right now in the NFC. Green Bay 1, Los Angeles Rams 2, Bucks 3, Cowboys 4, Cardinals 5. Right now, 49 ers six and Philadelphia in at the seventh seed and then the Saints outside looking in at the eight spot. Let's look at playoff clinching scenarios now for week 18. Here we go in the AFC. We would have as follows so as the, here's what it's clinched so far. Bengals clinched their division, Chiefs clinched their division, Titans clinched their division, Buffalo Bills have clinched a playoff berth, and the Patriots have also clinched a playoff berth. The Ravens at 8-8, eight eight, I mentioned they were actually in the 11 spot, but they are not mathematically eliminated yet. They play Pittsburgh on Sunday, so they would be able to clinch a playoff berth with the following. If they beat Pittsburgh, if the Chargers lose, and I believe the Chargers are playing the, the, Ra- uh, the Raiders— So if the Chargers lose, if Indianapolis loses to the Jags, and then Miami loses um, or ties, and I believe, I don't remember who Miami plays, I want to say they, I mean, they're out, so, um, but they would need a Miami loss, a Chargers loss, an Indy loss, and they would have to beat the Steelers. A lot to happen, but possible, I guess. The Buffalo Bills can clinch the AFC East. They're already in the playoffs, but they can clinch a top four seed, which they technically right now are in the four, but they could clinch it with a a win or if New England loses or if they both tie. They would clinch that top four seed, stay there, and it would be done. Bengals... Right now, are the two seed, but they could clinch the number one seed and the only first round by if Cincinnati wins if they beat Cleveland on Sunday, which seems likely because Cleveland now is going to rest, guys. If Cleveland wins, if Tennessee loses um, to Houston, if Kansas City loses, which I believe Kansas City plays Denver, and then if New England loses or they tie, or Cincinnati win, Tennessee loss, Kansas City loss, and a Buffalo win also gets it done for them to be the number one seed so again a lot to happen cincinnati already in they should be locked in i believe at the two seed because they have the head or, or sorry they're locked in at the three seed um if they win they're locked in um i don't believe um buffalo is going to be passing them but if they lose then they would obviously drop down, maybe to the five seed. So they definitely need to win. If everybody else wins, they definitely need to win um, to stay in that three seed um, and have you know home field playoff home field advantage in the playoffs. Actually, I don't believe they could drop any lower. I mean, they could drop to the four, but they can't drop out of that because they're a division winner. My apologies. Okay. So for Kansas City to win the number one seed and clinch it, we already know this, they've got to win and Tennessee has to lose um, to the Texans. Very easy. For the Colts to clinch a playoff berth, which again, right now they are in the playoffs as it starts, if it were to start today, but in order to clinch a playoff berth, all they need to do is win or the Chargers can lose and Baltimore and Pittsburgh can tie or Chargers can lose, Pittsburgh can lose and Miami can win. Again, just win and you're in if you're the, you're the um, Colts. Raiders clinch a playoff berth with a win against the Chargers. It would knock the Chargers out. Or if they tie and Indianapolis loses, or if Indianapolis loses and Pittsburgh loses or ties, they get in. But again, win and you're in if you are the Raiders. Chargers can get in with a win or a tie. Again, win and you're in, essentially for both those teams because they're playing each other. The Patriots, not only can they clinch the number one seed— so here's the, here's the scenario for the Patriots. They have a lot that they can do. They can clinch the number one seed with this. If they win, if Buffalo loses, if Kansas City loses and Tennessee loses, basically that would just be they win and everybody else loses, they would have the best record in the AFC. That's easy to figure out. Now, New England can clinch the AFC East with a New England win, obviously beating Miami, and then a Buffalo loss, or... New England ties Miami and Buffalo loses. Basically win and Buffalo loss and New England clinches the AFC East and they are in a top four seed in the playoffs. And now last but not least, um, Pittsburgh Steelers, how they get in. They have to win. We already knew this because it was talked about ad nauseum on the, the broadcast. Pittsburgh wins. Indianapolis loses to the Jags, I believe. And then they would also need um, a Chargers Raiders game that does not end in a tie so they basically just have to have um somehow that indianapolis loses to the jaguars they win and then one of the teams las vegas or the or the chargers wins the game and then finally in the afc for tennessee to clinch the afc it's pretty easy win and they've got it um and we're not really going to worry about everything else because they play houston they have lost them before but if they just win they clinch the number one seed and have the only first round bye. nfc this is a little easier um Packers have already clinched the number one seed. Nothing can change there. Cowboys have clinched their division. They've clinched the playoff spot. Again, Buccaneers clinched their division playoff spot. Cardinals have clinched a playoff berth. Rams playoff berth. Eagles playoff berth. Now, seeding can change, though, with a few of those teams. Arizona can clinch the NFC West and get a top-four seed if they win and the Rams lose, who plays San Francisco on Sunday. The Rams can clinch the NFC West if they win or they tie or Arizona loses. The Saints play Atlanta. New Orleans can clinch a playoff berth if they beat Atlanta and San Francisco loses to the Rams, which seems very possible. Um, or the other scenario is San Francisco clinches their playoff berth if they just win or if New Orleans loses to Atlanta. So those are your scenarios there. It seems most likely in the AFC that everything is probably going to hold serve um, at least one through, you know, what what would I say? One through Eight or 1 through 6, and then um, 7 and 8 is kind of really where everything is going to figure out. Chargers play the Raiders, so it's win and you're in type scenario there. The things that could change in the NFC are basically just seeding because 1 through 4 in the NFC are locked in because of all the division winners. You could have San Francisco drop out if they lose to the Rams and the Saints beat the Falcons. You could then have... Philadelphia move up in that scenario, even though they've already clinched a playoff spot, they can move up. So it's basically just seating from five through seven at that point um, with that. But again, those are your playoff clinching scenarios here. So here we are. All right, so let's now kind of round this out with our preview of the week um, of the week 18 games here. Let's pull those up. Um, Again, we kind of know what the scenarios are, so that probably means that you're going to see, um, you know, you're going to see certain teams get favored in a much bigger way just because they have things to play for, blah, 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 all of that. But let's go through it anyway and just kind of talk through um, everything that is on the slate for. Sunday. So again, we have two Saturday games and then we have all Sunday games. I don't believe we have a Monday game. Um, We do have a Sunday night game, but we don't have a Monday night game um, due to the playoffs being on Saturday again next week. So Starting with the two Saturday games. First one at 4.30, we've got Kansas City taking on Denver. Kansas City favored by 10. They have a lot to play for. They're going to kind of want to blow this thing out of the water, hoping that maybe there's a chance that other teams lose ahead of them um, and that they have a chance to clinch that number one seed. But they are favored by 10. I think that they're infinitely better than Denver. I would take Kansas City minus 10. Dallas playing Philadelphia. Dallas favored by 7 on the road against Philadelphia, who, by the way, has clinched a playoff spot, but maybe looking to move up in that scenario and maybe looking to play spoiler for Dallas. I don't know if Dallas is seven points better than Philadelphia, just the way they've been playing. I would kind of stick it around and see where you are, Um, but I would say take Philadelphia plus seven. I like that touchdown number. You can at least push in that case. Moving into Sunday, we got Green Bay taking on Detroit. Green Bay probably won't play anybody because everything's clinched up, and they want Aaron Rodgers to rest that foot. So you'll probably have a Jordan Love scenario. Um, You know, this is one I'd stay away from. Again, a lot of these games are going to be ass just because of the the COVID scenarios, people sitting people. They want people to get healthy. So any... Clinched teams or teams that have already you know locked everything up just i don't want to say bet against them but either stay away or really really think about what you're betting on there uh green bay favored by four they are infinitely better than detroit but i'm staying away from that one because you don't know who's playing for green bay just got word that um in this game chicago is playing minnesota justin fields is back against minnesota neither team is playing for anything they both have been mathematically eliminated um however you you know again this is something that maybe you kind of keep an eye on um if you're if you're a degenerate and you want to make some wagers um i will not be betting this um again both these teams have nothing to play for so it could be could be a shit show it, kirk cousins might be out again though and if that's the case then maybe you look at justin fields getting some reps um you know against against minnesota but stay away from that one if you must indianapolis playing for a ton taking on jacksonville are they 15 and a half points better? I don't know. But Jacksonville, like I've said, is a dumpster fire. So I will always be taking, um, any team I can against Jacksonville, whatever the points are, uh, minus 15 and a half. Take it. Tennessee favored by 10 against Houston. Again, Houston has nothing to play for except for spoiler Tennessee favored by 10. Um uh, Derek Henry has been des- or has been, um, activated off of IR he will not be playing this Sunday but it sounds like he'll be a go um, for the playoffs and he may even have another week to wait um, because they should have the first round by all that being said I'm still taking Tennessee minus 10 against Houston I don't think Houston's very good at all Washington taking on the Giants Um, Washington favored by seven the Giants suck they'll probably start Mike Lennon again Um, if that's the case take Washington minus seven Pittsburgh against Baltimore. Baltimore still has a chance to make the playoffs somehow after all of this, but so does Pittsburgh. Again, it's a pipe dream, but it's possible. Um, so I would probably end up taking. We don't know who's going to play um, if it's if it's Tyler Huntley or if it's um, Lamar Jackson. I still would take Pittsburgh plus five and a half. I think that they, um, you know, they're trying to maybe have a chance with Big Ben. Um, it's his final game, most likely. It sounds like of his career. Um, you can't really handicap a motion, but if if Lamar comes back, then you definitely have to take a look at maybe staying away from this but we'll see cleveland taking on cincinnati cincinnati is not going to play joe burrow he is going to sit out um, which means that you're probably going to get a a a, um a case keenum versus um, brandon allen game i don't know if i would touch either of those teams if that's the case Um, but i do probably trust um, case keenum more than that so if you want to just take cleveland money line in a parlay maybe but i don't know if i'm expecting them to win anything by more than six New England taking on Miami. Miami is now mathematically out. New England still has a lot to play for. I, would, I'm, I don't know if they're six and a half points better than Miami, but because Miami has nothing to play for, they'll probably end up sitting some people um, to get a better draft pick. So you just keep an eye on starters in that one. If they don't start Tua, then you can definitely go ahead and take New England six and a half. Buffalo taking on the Jets, minus 16 and a half. They've got to play for the division. They're going to blow them out, take them minus 16 and a half against the Jets. Tampa Bay, minus eight against Carolina. Carolina, nothing to play for except for spoiler. Tampa Bay doesn't look eight points better than anybody right now, though. I would not touch them at all. Maybe tease it down to one um, or whatever you can do. Maybe put them just to win straight up. But I'm not touching eight points with Tampa Bay right now. New Orleans against Atlanta. Um, neither team is good. I don't know. I know New Orleans is playing for a playoff spot, but I still don't trust them at all. However, I do think that they're probably going to be able to put together a plan that's better than four and a half points against Atlanta. So I would take that minus four and a half. Arizona and Seattle again, Arizona not playing for anything, but Arizona is um, they're trying to you know play for seeding here to win the West. So I would take them minus six and a half over Seattle um, at home. However, they have not been the greatest home team um, this year—only three and four at home. So that's a bit problematic. Uh, maybe stay away from this one. I don't know. I just trust teams that have things to play for versus ones that don't. So I'm going to take them minus six and a half. Rams taking on San Francisco. Um, this is one we've seen now. Um, boy, I—I I don't know. I don't trust—I still don't trust Stafford, but it sounds like it's going to be Trey Lance, and I don't know if he can handle Aaron Donald and and Leonard Floyd and all those guys. Uh, This is a stay away for me. Um, But it's definitely going to be a good game to watch at 425, probably the game of the week. And then finally, Sunday night, obviously the win and you're in. That's why they did it. Chargers taking on the Raiders. Chargers favored by three on the road. I just like the Chargers better. I think Herbert is better than Carr. Carr has done an an amazing job this year with everything that's been thrown at him, but I still trust the Chargers more than them, so I would take the Chargers minus three. All right, let's round this episode out. It's been a longer one, but it's been a, a fun one to record. Um, let's end it off with the gambling corner, which, as a reminder, is two things happen in the gambling corner here. The first one is the tree Trifecta, so a three-team Moneyline Parlay that we, get, that we put together. All teams have to win. If one of them loses, you are done, but you get better odds that way, so we're going to try to put it together, a three-team parlay. Um, maybe we'll include a Saturday game as well as some Sunday games, too, so let's pull that up. Saturday we got Chiefs Broncos and then Cowboys Eagles. Let's throw in a Saturday. Let's first of all let's do a bonus. Let's do a Saturday two team parlay. So we're gonna go Chiefs Cowboys two team parlay for Saturday. That gets you to minus one seventy two odds. If you want to tease them both to get better odds, you could tease the Cowboys down or or tease the the Eagles up, whichever you want to do. Um, and then you could um, tease the Chiefs down to three and a half. Um, you could tease those and get that at minus 140 if you did a 7-point teaser, or you can get it at 172 just to win straight up. If you're asking me, if you're going to do either one, I would just parlay them straight up. Even though the odds are a little worse, you at least don't have to worry about scoring enough points if you just win, it's good. So that would be your Saturday bonus. But let's talk about Saturday or Sunday, because there's a bunch of teams that are heavy favorites, so it's going to be tough to kind of parlay a bunch of teams together. Um, But... You can find some things to do here. Um. You could take heavy favorites. If you wanted to take Colts. Titans. Bills. You could get that. That's not great. Um. This is going to be one where you probably have to do some. Some soul searching here. Um. And find some really really weird lines to bet. Um. This is going to be tough. I'm going to take the Bears plus 165, the Bucks at 380, and the Cardinals at 290. Let's do it. We're going to get crazy. I'm going to take the Bears at plus money, and then I'm going to parlay them with the Bucks at minus 380 and then the Cardinals at minus 280. That puts your parlay odds at 350. 100 wins 350 bucks. You could do 50 bucks. You could do 20 bucks if you wanted to. Either way, the Bears being an underdog, but I think that they can beat the, the Vikings who have nothing to play for and are probably going to start Sean Mannion again. Um, you're getting pretty good odds on an underdog with the better quarterback in that scenario. Um, I would take that. So again, the Sunday bet, if you want, or the Saturday bet, if you want to, is going to be Chiefs-Cowboys, which you're getting at minus 170 ish odds for the parlay but the sunday bet bears underdog plus 165 bucks cardinals parlay those three you get plus 350 odds for the tweed trifecta there and then we're going to use some of those similar teams again in a seven point teaser so bears plus three and a half um and then we're going to do hmm and then we're gonna tease the Titans down um, from ten and a half down to three and a half. So the two the weekend best bets is a two team seven point teaser. Bears teased up to ten and a half, and Titans teased down to minus three and a half. That gets you your typical minus one forty for a seven point teaser, and that will do it for my my three wagers of the weekend. To recap um, last week's gambling corner, what I gave out on the pod. Did not go well. Both lost because I included the Chiefs in both of them, and they lost outright. But let me recap other bets that I made over the weekend. I mentioned that I really, really liked doing the um, the 13-point teasers on Sunday um, because, again, like I said, you manipulate the line by 13 points, so you can either get some some big underdogs even bigger or you get big favorites down to probably close to pick'ems. So I won – both of my 13-point teasers that I did in the NFL. Um, so on um, on Sunday, I did a eight-way. This is an eight-team, 13-point teaser. So I did Kansas City plus nine, Buffalo minus one and a half, Tennessee plus 10, Indy plus five, LA Rams plus six, Bears plus six and a half, New England minus four, Philly plus seven. I bet, I believe on that one, I bet 150. The odds were plus 190, so I ended up winning 285. I also did a four-team, thirteen-point teaser: um, Houston plus twenty-six, Buffalo minus one and a half, Tampa Bay minus one, New England minus four. I bet one hundred and fifty on that at minus one hundred and forty and got one hundred and seven fourteen. However, just like I said, it's not always it's not always a simple, easy win. Everything I did win: Green Bay minus thirteen in the in the Sunday night game. I lost the Tweed trifecta, which was a quad. Because of the Kansas City Chiefs, everything else won except for the Chiefs. So Chiefs lost, but Buffalo, Tampa Bay, New England all won. And then I did lose a, the the weekend best bet. I also put down a two-team teaser of um, Indianapolis, the Colts, and the Rams. Um, I lost that as well. But overall was profitable on the Sunday because of the two big 13-point teasers that I hit and um, Monday night Um um, on the Sorry, on the Sunday night game, I bet a decent amount on Green Bay minus 13. So made out well um, with other bets that I did on my own. Sorry that I don't put everything that I bet out um, because I do record this on, you know, early in the week to get it for the Thursday or the Saturday games. So I don't record it. Soon enough, I could. I guess I could look into recording on Sunday mornings, but I'm usually busy and doing all that stuff, so I like to get these out before that. So you have an idea of placing bets for the Thursday night, the Saturday games if you want to. So I apologize, but always follow along. You know, if you want to follow me on Twitter or follow me on social media, you will see what I do in terms of bets. All that said. Um, that is going to do it for another episode of between the tackles. Um, again, thanks for listening. If you're a returner, if you're new, hope you enjoyed it again, follow us, um, rate, review, subscribe, download, follow all that good stuff on all platforms, streaming podcasts. Um, and that's going to do it. All right, fam. Peace.